This is the Santita Jackson Show. Talks between the sides at war since October. Um, this is what this shows, according to this press report from the Washington Post. U.S. officials are working to secure the release of remaining hostages, although it was revealed this morning that two of the Israeli hostages have died. Congress took a step toward preventing a government shutdown this weekend. Money for about 20% of the federal government runs out Friday night. The rest expires February 2nd, which would send millions of federal workers home without pay. Legislation to move the two deadlines to March 1st and 8th was advanced by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on yesterday. A civil defamation trial against Donald Trump began in New York. Whether the former president should pay damages for comments about E. Jean Carroll, a writer who has said that Trump sexually assaulted her and derided her when she spoke out. The former president appeared in court yesterday and he continued to blur the lines between his legal issues and his presidential campaign. Carroll is set to testify today. A deal to expand the federal child tax credit was announced yesterday. Now, this child tax credit has dramatically cut child poverty, making the the existing child tax credit more generous, mainly for low-income families. Most parents will get a boost of about $100 on the 2025 tax returns, but Congress must approve the deal, and it's unclear whether that will happen. An extreme cold is still gripping much of the United States. At least 30 states are under some type of alert for dangerously low temperatures as far south as Florida. The cold is setting records all across the country. Winter storms with snow, sleet, and rain have forced school and office closures and disrupted air travel. Milder air is expected early next week. Let us hope so, everybody, because it is tough out here. Tough, 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 tough. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. I want to know what your thoughts are about all the things that we are going to be talking about today. Today, we're going to have a high in Chicago of 17 degrees. Woo, woo, it'll be clear. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 11 degrees. I mean, above zero, everybody. That's progress. Uh, in the NBA tonight, the Timberwolves will be facing off against the Pistons in the NHL uh, la- uh, tonight. Uh, well, last night, Chicago 2, the Sharks 1. And those are just some of the headlines, but we have got good news from Pastor Vicki Johnson. Pastor Vicki Johnson, how are you doing today? I am well. What about you, Santita? I am doing great. Doing great, doing great, doing great. It's just, it's just... You know, I just think about the people who are cold today, and that grieves me greatly because um, no one should be cold. No one should be without heat, and that is what is, it's just very unsettling to think about that, to think about people without, who are not just outdoors, but, you know, you have people who are in their homes without gas um, and who are precariously hooked up to all of these little systems heating implements to try and stay warm. Um, what is the church's response, before we get to the good news, to to this 
to this situation of some churches staying open? I mean, can you even afford to do that? Um, and the church churches have been staying open and, um, whether we can afford to do it or not, we're doing it because it needs to be done. It, there is a need that must be met, and who better to meet it than the church? Amen. I just think it ought to be public policy that no one, at a time like this, everybody's gas ought to be on. At a time like this, everybody ought to have some heat, and not just some heat, just real heat. Everybody ought to be able to stay warm, but um, hopefully we will advance so that these necessities are not privileges, you know, they become basic human rights. So the good news. Well, you know, it's really, it's, it's really sad that in this place that we call the greatest country in the world, that there are people without heat, there are people without food, there are people that were born here that are without shelter and that migrants that come are seeking all of the beauty of this great country because we are supposedly the greatest country in the world, yet we lack so much. I'm I'm just ashamed and embarrassed that in 2024 that this is still the case. I, I It's um, disheartening to say the least. So I, I agree well, with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a reflection of our values. And I just heard mm-hmm. a woman on a commercial saying that she went to a food pantry. And yes. she only saw the food pantries for people, well, people who are in need. She never thought that she'd be one of those persons in need. That's right. As my parents say, keep on living. You don't know mm-hmm. where you're going to end up. You know, Mrs. Clay Evans used to say, it's dangerous to forget. You know where you've been, but you don't know where you're going. And that is so true. Amen. This is Lucy May Evans. God bless her and thank her for all the wonderful things she used to say to us. <laughs> you know, you were like this woman who was so, she appeared to be so, so uncomplicated, and yet she was so profound, so wise. Yes. Thank God yes. for her. Thank God for her today. Well, Pastor Vicki Johnson, even in the midst of all of this, we can still find joy. We can still find some good news, can we not? That's right. That is right. So good morning to you, Santita, and good morning to all of your morning stars and friends. There is good news. I once heard Wendy Williams, the talk show host and radio personality, say that she had become her own best friend. Destiny's Child recorded a song, Me, Myself, and I, and one line from that song says, From now on, I'm going to be my own best friend. This realization came from Wendy after a nasty divorce and for Destiny Child after one of them broke up in a relationship. But why can't we come to this acceptance during good times? Jesus talked about love in Mark, the 16th chapter, where we are to love God with everything within us. But then Jesus flips it and calls for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
From that, I got that we should know ourselves and love ourselves just as we are to the point that we can be our own best friends. Loving God is good and required, but are you loving yourself? Do you love what you see in the mirror? Can you love yourself even with your habits and faults? Can you comfort yourself when you are going through tough times just as you would your best friend? Can you celebrate with yourself in the good times as you would with one of your BFFs? Can you be your own biggest cheerleader? Can you give yourself grace? When we really love ourselves, then we will be able to love our neighbors better. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. With all of this going on, our world would be a much better place. If you can do this, then I believe that you can. Then to me, that's good news. That is the good news. I thought I got to stop you. How <laughs> do you do that? I'm only asking you this because most of us, I mean, myself included, have some negative tapes running in our, in our heads all the time. The things that people said, because, you know, look, we all come from, I mean, our, uh, our relatives, people close to us, people we knew as children, they, sometimes they meant to hurt your feelings, sometimes they did not. I'm wrapping up Barbara Streisand's memoir, and it's very interesting as she goes through her mother's relationship. Her, her relationship with her mother's her, her relationship with her mother and her mother was quite cold to her, and many people who knew them observed that her mother had unrealized ambitions and was envious, jealous of her daughter. Right, mm-hmm. so you could see part of what Barbara Streisand, the great Barbara Streisand, and so many others fight with is that negative tape. I see that with my own father, not having had the true acceptance of the people closest to him until he mm. became renowned. The more famous he became, the more he was embraced by his father, quite frankly. You know, and to, I ain't mad at nobody. You know, I'm just saying that's just real. It is just real. He, and, you know, I think that's part of what drove him, too, because I am somebody, while he was saying that to everybody else, he was saying it to himself first. Mm-hmm. And so how do you do that? Because so many of us have so many negative messages, Reverend. We just, we do Well, you really kind of just answered your own question. One way that we can do that is through finding an affirmation that speaks to us. Um, My husband experienced um, a physical challenge. 
on October 2nd, the day before my birthday, he experienced a stroke. And so on the, on, in the bathroom where he can see it, I have put up there in every way, every day, I am getting better and better. So whenever he goes in the bathroom, and you know, for us, that's many times, then he gets to see that and read it to himself and affirm it to himself so that it becomes his reality. Your father said, I am somebody. And he didn't say, you are somebody, as other people have said. He said, I am somebody. And we said it enough until we were able to walk into situations that were adverse to us and believe that we really were somebody and that we deserved whatever it was that we were requesting. So you have to find an affirmation, a statement, a scripture that relates to you that you can say over and over and over again until you actually believe, yeah, I am somebody. Yeah, in every way, every day, I am getting better and better. You will be able to see the results of your words because life and death are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. How do we, what is the trick of death? Let's say it's easier to, basically to paraphrase them, to, you know, to raise a strong child than it is to heal a broken man or woman. I mean, how do we expand this to a group? Because we're seeing hurt people hurt people. I mean, I promise you, I think that's what I see in the Middle East, people who've been very damaged of damaging other people. Part of the genius and divinity of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King is that he knew how damaged black people were and how damaged white people were, too. Mm-hmm. And so he decided to lead a movement with love. How do we do that now, particularly at this time? Because we're about to, we're going into a season, a campaign season that they say is going to be perhaps the most contentious one we have seen in maybe half a century, if not longer. Hmm. So I would say that as individuals and as groups, you know, I am a very strong proponent of therapy. Some things we need to talk through in a way that a light bulb goes off. And it won't just happen with you talking to yourself and maybe not even to your best friend. But if you can find a therapist, find group therapy, find some kind of support system, a support team, then it will help you to see your way through whatever it is, the dark days that are ahead, the confusing times, the, um, the, the, the things that you are going through that does not seem like there's a way out. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Good for all. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Well, you heard it. How do you find, do you interview therapists or do you just go in the, the so-called yellow pages and find one? Or do you go to your church and ask? Or do you, well, I mean, how do you find a therapist? I found my therapist by asking for referrals. People that I knew were in therapy, uh, medical professionals that they, I tell them what kind of therapist I was looking for. 
and was able to find it, find that therapist that way. But um, you can go, you can go through your doctor, you can go through your church. Uh, some churches or religious organizations are not big on therapy in the 21st century yet. So you have to be careful with that. Um, but one program also, there are, especially if you're not insured, um, institutions like Northwestern University and other great schools that are right here in our area, in the Chicagoland area, they have students that are about to graduate and they have to do um, their internship as therapists. And so if you would go to their website, you would also find um, that you can find a therapist there. And if you don't like who you got, get another Thank you. I know I asked you a lot, but you know, I'm, when I look at the world today, I'm saying, boy, oh boy, oh boy. When, when you brought that topic up today, I said, people, we would do well with therapy. We, I mean, we would just we would do well with it. And many of us are therapy averse. And I'm like, I'm not therapy averse. I think we need it. And we oh, need yeah. to be honest about it. I mean, I know when I've gone through some tough times, I have sought out a therapist. And she was quite helpful to me. You know, sometimes Amen. it makes you help, help you understand, hey, wait a minute, I'm not going crazy. Well, maybe I am, and maybe they're going to pull me back. Hello? I don't know. Yes, yes, I just, yes. You know, I just think it's important, everybody. We need to be well. You deserve to be well. You ought to be well. Love yeah. you, Pastor. How can we worship with you on Sunday? You can worship with me at Lebanon Lutheran Church at 13100 South Manistee in Chicago. And that's at 9 a.m. And at 1130 a.m. at St. Thomas Lutheran Church on 80th and Jeffrey Boulevard. Both services are on Facebook. Worship and be blessed. Well, God bless you. This is the hardest working pastor I know. He's hosting all these churches. I love it. <laughs> but she is just some, she's an incredible pastor. Let's talk about Germany, everybody. Many people were shocked that Germany sided with Israel as they've been charged with genocide. People said, wait a minute, how could you? Well, you know, they did perpetuate the first genocide of the 20th century. Did you know that? Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. And then Fonnie Willis at the top of the hour. She is facing um, some challenges, some allegations of a romantic relationship with one of the special prosecutors in the Trump case. They want them all off. Let's talk about it on the Santita Jackson Show. Back in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. At the top of the hour, we're going to be talking about Fonnie Willis, the prosecutor in Georgia who's taking on Donald Trump. They want her off the case because they allege that she has a romantic relationship with one of the three 
special prosecutors that she has hired. You're going to look at the merits of the of the of, of what is being charged, and and if it's fair, if it's fair, the three prosecutors she's hired are not only colleagues but their personal friends. So let's talk about that. But first, let's talk about something that kind of threw everybody off. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Uh, many people said, wow, South Africa is taking on Israel. They uh, have charged, South, South Africa has charged Israel with genocide before the highest court of the United Nations, the ICG, the International Court of Justice. And so they've made this case with the support of Ireland and other and other countries all around the world, and indeed there is a global coalition coalescing to support these charges. And so it was stunning to see Germany, which is guilty of one of the greatest genocides in history, what was a little stunning to see them support Israel, uh, the people they genocided 70-odd years ago, Indeed, they are part of the reason we have in Israel today, because of their actions during the Second World War. Well, they're supporting Israel. They're saying there is no merit to this case. They filed a declaration of intervention on behalf of Israel. Uh, and Namibia, who were colonized by Germany, and who were the recipients of the first genocide in the 20th century committed by the Germans, said, we object. This is, this is not right. So we've got to talk about that. We've got attorney Mark Sancher and Professor Nia Quete, one of the world's foremost African specialists. Before we ask uh, Professor Quete to weigh in, I'd like your thoughts. This declaration of intervention, attorney Mark Sancher. Um, were you surprised by uh, Germany's, uh, by Germany's action? Well, I think that uh, this is not, and it never has been, uh, a situation uh, globally of sentiment, emotion, race, or anything else. It, it, the only permanent interest uh, is economic, uh, when you get right down to it. And so the nationalism that propelled Germany toward uh, the Holocaust uh, in that uh, is responsible for the birth of, of the idea of a, a state of Israel, uh, the colonization of countries in Africa. All of these things uh, may have a focus in one moment that may shift in another moment if there are economic imperatives. And so Germany at this point finds itself as part of the collection of Western nations that uh, overall constitute an empire and they're going to act consistent with the interests of the empire, which in this case uh, has a, a, a perceived need to sustain a Zionist state uh, so that uh, the empire is able to exploit and oppress the rest of the world to its benefit. Uh, it uh, has an affinity otherwise with Western powers such as the United States, uh, England, Israel, uh, and so to that extent, uh, it's not surprising that they would line up uh, alongside Israel, even though there is a point in their history when they had targeted uh, people of the Jewish faith for 
their own genocide, that they had targeted Africans uh, for genocide. Uh, there is no real surprise to me in the fact that they have done this. Hmm. Professor Aquete, what is going on here? What is it? Why would why would Namibia strenuously object uh, to this? What is their history with Germany? What is what's happening here? How should we interpret all of this? Well, I, I think that. Um you know, it, it's very interesting to see. I mean, Germany, uh, for 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 my money, one of their better leaders in a long time was um, the last uh, Chancellor Angela Merkel, and he fessed up. She fessed up. I'm sorry, she fessed up. She gave some very moving uh, confessional statements about Germany's guilt with the Holocaust. But at the same time, she absolutely refused to do what is right, even though they are historians, they are ethnologists. It was very clear that they had Germany had committed genocide against Africans, yes, in the country now called Namibia, when they were uh, colonized, they were called Southwest uh, uh, German Southwest Africa on the Atlantic coast. But actually, at the same time, and this happened 120, it started exactly 120 years ago, in 1904, it lasted four years, um, in, in uh, what is now Namibia. They targeted two ethnic groups, the Heruru and the Nama. They killed 60,000 of the first group, they killed 10,000 of the first group. What was their crime? They were resisting their lands being taken and their cattle being stolen. They were pushed into the desert. The desert was sealed off. Water holes were commandeered, so they died of theft. And the rest that they could capture, the Germans captured, they put them in concentration camps. And then they started this false sign of some races being better than others based on measurement, especially of skulls. So they decapitated uh, thousands of, of people and boiled their head and shipped their skulls into Germany where their skulls still are. But what we need to add is that they did the, around exactly the same time, about 120 years ago, they did it in an even bigger African colony, what we now call today uh, uh, Tanzania, Tanganyika. Because, and there are so many historic groups. Quickly, German leader Otto von Bismarck called a conference in Berlin uh, to corral the European colonies and say, well, you can go take anything you want in Africa, but let's set a few rules so you don't kill yourselves there. Africans are not worth killing yourselves over. And so Germany pretty much said, okay, you, the French, and the British, you go ahead. Everybody can do it, but you are the ones who are most aggressive. Von Bismarck said, well, we just want a few pieces of Africa. So they grabbed Togo. They grabbed uh, Cameroon. They grabbed what is now Namibia, and the biggest piece was uh, Tanganyika, which they called um, German East Africa. 
Now, again, this was 120 years ago. So uh, shortly thereafter, we got the uh, First World War, which was, again, the quarrels among these imperialist uh, European uh, uh, armies. The, they are going to Africa to grab Africa, actually just postponed their, their fight in Europe. But eventually it boiled over, and when Germany was defeated, its colonies were taken away from it, and Tanzania was given to the British, um, Namibia was given to the South Africans, and um, uh, Togo was split between the French and the British, and Cameroon the same. So anyway, to come back to Namibia, they had this atrocity there. The the then they had it in uh, Tanzania. It was called the, in Tanzania. It was called the Maji Maji Rebellion. The same uh, process is followed. They grab a lot of land. They want to build plantations, and they headed the people into concentration camps, and the people rebelled, and they starved them to death. In, in Tanzania, 100,000 died. In Namibia, they killed 60,000, and then 20,000. Now, fast forward to like three or four years ago, the Namibians have been insisting we should talk about this genocide, and if uh, Angela Merkel and the Germans are saying how sorry they are about the Holocaust, as they should be. And they should pay the compensation that they have agreed. But for me, what it sounds like, what I saw is, well, if we are accused of having done terrible things to uh, Jewish people in Germany, we are willing to face up to those crimes. But we are not willing to talk about what we did in Africa, even though what they did in Tanzania and, and Namibia was the practice, was the dry run for what they did in Germany to, to the Jewish people. And so this is, the, this is the stance that Germany has taken. And if you know that and you see that, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't sound too surprising that now they will go to the International Court of Justice and sort of weigh in in defense of Israel because what the, it's always been is like, well, um, what happened in Germany is different than what we did in uh, Africa. The uh, Africans we killed, that doesn't matter. We are not sorry for that. We don't want to pay. They even said, we are not going to pay compensation. We will pay, we will build a few um, development projects over 30 years, and then that is it. It is a horrendous thing. Now, fortunately, the African Union, is, is, is getting itself together to push for these things, including you might, you might be interested in know that um, apart from reparations being paid and being pushed for by uh, countries in the Caribbean, and especially, you know, uh, the United States, the African Union is partnering also and starting to push for, to talk about reparations from uh, the 300 years of slavery out of Africa but also about colonialism. So these reparation things are coming. But for me, it's no surprise that Germany is saying, well, if we are talking about our white victims, we, we are ready to say we did wrong. But if you are talking about black people, we are not ready to do that. Okay, African specialist, totally with Trans-Africa. 
professor all around the world about Namibia and really Germany and their history of genocide, their history of abject cruelty to African people. And it's just amazing to me, Professor Kwete, that these atrocities, which were dry runs for what happened to Jewish people and others all around the world, no one knows about it. No one discusses it. You know, because we need um, um, programs like yours. We need publications that um, look at the truth unflinchingly because, as the attorney said, you've got cooperation among the colonizers, the imperialists who are building, and their newspapers, the mainstream newspapers and television and radio and other forms of media tell that story from their point of view. So if you wait on them, there is a lot that you will never let. You know, students have often said to me, oh, what newspaper should I read so that I become knowledgeable about Africa? And I smile to myself. You need to read like 20, some of which don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want you to read. You have to be aggressive in learning what, what goes on and if you make it to graduate school, you have to help produce some of this history itself. You cannot rely on them because a lot of the media coverage, mainstream media, is actually cover-up. And when I first came to this country, just after Nixon has re- had resigned, one of the things I learned, they said, was the cover-up is always worse than the crime. But a lot of newspapers, a lot of media in the Western world are actually engaged in cover-up. Your response to this, um, Attorney Fancher? I I agree completely. And, you know, uh, Kwame Nkrumah, Ghana's first president, used to object to the use of the term third world. Uh, he, He said that there are really only two worlds. There's a capitalist world and there's a socialist world, and they're at war against each other. And, and I think that we always have to keep that in mind. Just as Professor Aquete said, the capitalist media is hell-bent on destroying any narrative, any flow of information that in any way is going to remove the power, the money, the means of production, uh, the resources from the hands of global capitalism. And when you have a situation such as that which we are watching unfold in Gaza right now, uh, then it it is so clear to the world uh, that it is a genocide. It is a slam dunk, uh, presuming some degree of fairness in the International Court of Justice, uh, legally, uh, to make that case. And so capitalism, imperialism, is under siege right now. And when it perceives that it is, then it's an all-hands-on-deck kind of a moment. Everybody who has a stake in the preservation of uh, global imperial power uh, has to jump uh, on board and, and to defend and to protect the interests of the empire. And it doesn't matter about the apparent contradictions. It doesn't uh, matter about the morality of it. It doesn't matter about the historical Uh, conflict uh, between current actions and past deeds, Uh, the the state of Israel must be defended at all costs. And if Germany perceives itself to be part of that 
international construct, then yes, it will get on board and it will ignore any criticism that comes its way about what it did in Namibia. It will ignore anything that's said about its motives regarding uh, support for Israel when it was responsible for a Holocaust. Uh, it will do what it has to do. And Professor Okoye, that having been said, you still you see South Africa and you see the global South rising up. Um, particularly in this instance, many people said that this really is about even more than this is really about a push against Western imperialism. The fact that South Africa is using its growing power on the world stage to take the stand in defense of the Palestinians. Your thoughts? Yes, I mean, I, I think the route that um, the, the, the step that South Africa took, I find that impressive because, you know, you, there, there are all kinds of condemnations that one can make of uh, what is happening in Palestine. South Africa took it to a court of justice. As you mentioned at the, at the top of this session, it was, it's the highest court in the United Nations system, the International Court of Justice, where if you have a problem with a country and you think they are behaving in a manner that breaks uh, the law, you take it there and they have come them 17, one seven judges. So it's not, it, 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 it is going according to the rule of law. Of course, I'm very off into a lane that's not mine. We have a brilliant attorney with us on. But for me, it is the court is going to look at the evidence, and it is going to apply the law, and then it is going to come out with its verdict. You did mention, I mean, South Africa is just about the most powerful country on the African continent, if you take in all the different facets of state power. But it doesn't really much take what it takes, actually, in my opinion, is moral clarity and courage. And a few years back, uh, uh, Gambia, Gambia filed a case against Myanmar for what they were doing to the Rohingya. So it doesn't even take a powerful country. It just takes a country with moral clarity who understands what's going on and puts it out there for the record. And by the way, another reason that what um, Germany has just done, I didn't anticipate it, but now that I look at it, I'm not too surprised. I think one of the reasons why they have a different reaction to their atrocities in Tanzania and in, uh, in Namibia 120 years ago is because during the Holocaust, you know, the, the war, the Second World War, it's not just that their victims were white, uh, Jewish people, but also because they lost that war. They lost the Second World War. In Africa, they killed these people and they say, well, we, we are the victims. And I have ha uh, had people say to me, you know, what you call morality is just the will of the victor. It's just the will of the strong. And, of course, once the Second World War ended, the United States and the, and the, and the Western powers occupied Western Germany, the Soviet Union occupied uh, um, Eastern Germany. So Germany has been, it lost the war, it needed reconstruction, it did all kinds of things. I mean, the return of democracy to post-war Germany was pushed by the United States in West Germany. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed, of course, 
there was unification, and Angela Merkel was very uh, grateful that George Bush <laughs> um, uh, for uni- allowed unification. So all those factors, feeling that they are part of the Western coalition, as the attorney said, came into play. So this is why they are doing it. And I think the final indicator, too, is that when South Africa filed this case, the U.S., um, the the spokesperson for the uh, National Security Council came out and said, no, we don't agree with what South Africa has done. This case is meritless. So it does not surprise me that a major Western partner will go in on the same side and say, instead of saying, okay, let's see what the court will say, what it will find, they say, oh, we are against it, this is wrong. He said it's meritless. Yes. Upon what basis? I mean, upon what basis? I've got a couple of minutes before we go. That was so profoundly insulting. I mean, they killed one percent of the Gazan population and the in, in the, uh, the the people who moved. How could yeah, this be it, a meritless it, case? It, it really is Mark? not meritless. It, it 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 has lots of merit. Uh, but I, I think that to, we we really need to understand the significance of a ruling or a finding by this court of genocide. It does not mean that that uh, international police will immediately swarm uh, the uh, the offices of Israeli officials and put them in handcuffs and take them away or anything like that. What it does is it is an official uh, pronouncement, a legal pronouncement that this. This regime is engaged in genocide. And once that happens, then it, it, it's really a green light uh, for many actors around the world, other countries, individuals within uh, the, you know, that are living in Gaza. It, it, it is a green light for them to take actions that otherwise would be condemned or regarded as unlawful. Uh, at this point, resistance, armed and otherwise, uh, is is viewed under the law more as defense than it appears to, or, or it's not regarded as terrorism or an aggressive act. Uh, those countries that want to in, impose trade embargoes or in otherwise in other ways uh, isolate and marginalize the state of Israel have the green light to do it. So it has profound implications, and that's why they're scrambling. Uh, that's why they're fighting so hard against it, because they know that that just allows the rest of the world to really move in and to do whatever is necessary to dislodge uh, a Zionist state. Professor Quete, I've got less than a minute. Your closing Yes. It, yeah, the, the other thing that occurs to me is that, you know, the, the U.S. and other countries that are saying, oh, this is meritless. At the same time, they say we are the democratic coalition on the global stage. We are for democracy. I don't know how you can have democracy if you don't want rule of law, if you don't want to let the courts have their say. So um, to me, one of the best things I've learned is when the court is uh, uh, dealing with a case, you say, okay, it's in court. Let the process take its course. We cannot make prejudicial statements. So I was surprised they didn't do that. They are already saying it less. Even though the, 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 the paper the, 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 that South Africa submitted, we are told, is 83 pages of 
legal documents and legal arguments, I don't think people had read it, so they were already saying it's meritless. Professor Ni Akweke, one of the world's foremost African specialists, Attorney Mark Plancher. Wow, wow, wow. We will see where this goes and what the political and business fallout will be because it is coming. Let's talk about Fonnie Willis. These allegations against her, some people are saying are serious. She could be kicked off the Trump case. Or maybe she won't. Let's talk about it on the San Peter Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the second hour of the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today as we uh, have just talked about Germany and their surprising, or maybe it's not so surprising, uh, intervention on behalf of Israel, uh, saying that there is no genocide in Gaza. Please go to WCPT820.com forward slash Santita to hear this wonderful conversation that we had with one of the world's foremost African specialists, Professor Nia Quente. So we can get some history behind that, and of course, Attorney Mark Fancher. But let's talk about Fonnie Willis, uh, the prosecutor in Atlanta, Georgia. She is uh, facing some allegations uh, that could be disruptive uh, to the Trump trial and to her career. We want to talk about what it is alleged that she has done that some people have said is improper, inappropriate. Uh, she has hired three special prosecutors, a white man, a black, a white woman, and a black man. They allege that she has had um, a personal romantic relationship with the black man. They're all her friends. They're all highly regarded legal eagles. And so let's talk about this. What does all of this mean? And what about uh, the talk about her getting kickbacks because she has paid this black judge and lawyer more than $600,000? Now, mind you, more than, more than $650,000. Now, mind you, all of them have been paid the same. They all bill at an hourly rate. They all have to be paid by Fulton County. And yet, as Fonnie Willis said, out of the three prosecutors that I have um, that I've hired, you've targeted this black man, this guy. So, and it was, this suit was filed on behalf of Michael Roman, who's one of the Trump defendants. So we've got to talk about this. Uh, they're charging that she profited, that she, in a backhanded way, profited significantly from the prosecution prosecution of former President Trump at the taxpayers' expense. Got to talk about it, everybody. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Henry, let's get some of these headlines out the way. Israel and Hamas reached a deal to deliver medicine to hostages. The delivery of medication to Israeli hostages is in exchange for more aid deliveries and medicine for civilians in Gaza, Qatar and France announced yesterday. Sadly, two of the Israeli hostages, it was announced today, have died while in captivity. 
Congress took a step toward preventing a government shutdown this weekend. Money for about 20% of the federal government runs out on Friday. The rest expires February 2nd, which would send millions of federal workers home without pay. Legislation to move the two deadlines to March 1st and 8th was advanced by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer yesterday. A civil defamation trial against Donald Trump began in New York. Whether he should pay damages for comments about E. Jean Carroll, a writer who said that the former president sexually assaulted her and derided her when she spoke out. The former president appeared in court yesterday as he continued to blur the lines between his legal issues and his presidential campaign. A deal to expand the federal child tax credit was announced yesterday. Mind you, this federal child tax credit has significantly, significantly cut child poverty. We will see where all of this is going to go. Call me at 773-763-9278. Chicago, it is still cold. Uh, 30% of the country are under winter and cold advisories, everybody. Please check on your neighbors. And if you are cold, go to a police station, go to a library, go to a hospital, go someplace where you can be warm. No one, no one, I don't care what your circumstance, no one deserves to be cold. No one deserves to be hungry. Go, go, go. And you make sure your neighbors are doing well, too. Please do that. In Chicago, we're going to actually get above, not freezing, but above zero. 70 degrees, to be exact. It'll be a clear day. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 11 degrees, partly cloudy. Um, in the NBA, the Timberwolves will be facing off against the Pistons. And tonight... In the NHL, well, last night in the NHL, Chicago 2, the Sharks 1, and those are some of the headlines. Legal Q&A with CK, everybody. Let's talk about Fonnie Willis, a brilliant prosecutor. Well, she's under fire now, under fire now, and she at at an event this weekend at Bethel, Bethel in Atlanta, said, look, I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. You know, but I've done the best that I can, you know, charge these mistakes that I might have made to my head and not to my heart, to paraphrase her. So let's talk about what is being alleged and um, and what the political and personal and professional fallout could be. Uh, it is being charged that out of the three special prosecutors, TK, that she hired, a white woman, a white man, and a black man, it is alleged that she has had a romantic relationship with this black man, with Nathan Wade. Now, mind you, she has been friends and colleagues with each of these three persons. And she said, I think it's odd that you all have focused in on this relationship. But uh, there is now a matter of whether she and this man, former uh, Judge Wade, profited from uh, from the trial because of the monies that were paid by Fulton County. There's a whole lot going on, this honest services fraud, all of this. But take us back because, indeed, uh, we have a tremendous group of people with us today, Attorney C.K. Hoffman. He's got a tremendous, tremendous panel to talk about this. So why don't you take things away? Because we certainly want to hear from Ms. Morrison because she can help us to kind of get a snapshot of what's going on, how Fonnie Willis is faring under this kind of pressure and this scrutiny. Attorney C.K. Hoffler. Good morning, Santita. Good morning, everyone. Well, this is, you know, Santita, when I uh, ask that we talk about this, the reason why I felt it was important for us to talk about this on this segment is so that people have an appreciation 
for the prism through which we have to view this entire matter. We know that District Attorney Fonnie Willis is involved in one of the highest profile um, pieces of litigation in the world, in the world, a RICO case against former President Donald Trump and 16 other defendants. We know that it's high profile. We know the allegations are serious. We know that, that it took her over two years to build this case. And we know that some of the strongest legal talent, and certainly in Georgia, but elsewhere, have been assembled to help prosecute this case. We know that she and her family have been subject to death threats. We know that she has secret service. We know that her life has changed forever. And we know that she is a remarkably talented successfully prosecuted RICO cases before in Atlanta. She is a well-regarded, um, in terms of her legal acumen and skill, um, district attorney. And, and like other district attorneys, and as we know, we've talked about on the show, other black women district attorneys um, and prosecutors in this country, we know that she has been a, she's been a target and she's been a victim um, in, in, inappropriately, really, by people that feel that that don't like her politics or feel that this case against the former president, Donald Trump and others is politically motivated. So that's the background. That's the context. She hires three prosecutors, completely appropriate, completely consistent with what you want to do. Special prosecutors, exceptionally talented lawyers to bring this case. Lawyers that have the acumen, that have the background, that have the skills, that have the talent. One is a white male. One is a, is a white female, as you mentioned, and one's a black guy. Now we see this case with this allegation and litigation, by the way, um, against her trying to link what they say is an inappropriate uh, romantic relationship between her and the African-American male. And somehow that that should be a basis to remove her from this case, um, the case meaning the prosecution of former President Donald Trump. So that's the, that's the background, that's the context. So what I want to do, Santita, now is very quickly talk about a quick legal analysis, and then I want to shift it to Carla Morrison. Carla Morrison, you know, it's one thing that's great, Santita, about your show is we're able to get top talent and people from all around the country who are in point on issues. And Carla Morrison from Chit Chat Communications, big um, New Bethel church in, in Atlanta, Georgia, had, had invited District Attorney Willis to be one of their speakers or be their keynote speaker in November of last year um, in commemoration for, uh, for the King holiday. That was handled a long time ago. Despite all of this controversy, and yes, there is a lot of controversy, social media has gone wild. Everybody's talking about it, certainly in the Atlanta community and, and somewhat nationwide because the spotlight is on former President Trump and he's trying to use this and other of the defense are trying to use this as a basis upon which to kick her off the case or, more significantly, get the cases dismissed. So from a legal standpoint, I believe there's absolutely positively no basis to get any case against any of the defendants, including the president, dismissed based on the allegations, even if they are true, of a romantic relationship between um, District Attorney Fonnie Willis and one of the special prosecutors. No legal basis. There is the, the, the two matters, in fact, are not related. What she does with her private life, it's true. I'm not even saying they're true. I don't know. I wasn't there. And, and this is not something that she's commented on in terms of the veracity of it. But even if true, it has nothing to do with the case. 
if they are engaged, let's assume hypothetically that they are having a romantic relationship. He was paid on an hourly basis for his work, like the other people were paid on an hourly basis for his work. How he chooses to spend his money, if they are involved in a romantic relationship by giving her flowers and all that kind of stuff, that's his business. He's a grown man like she's a grown woman. That has nothing to do with the prosecution of the case. If he did not have the credentials, the superior credentials that he has, that would be one thing. If the allegation were that she used Fulton County taxpayer money to hire someone who was not qualified, who didn't have the skill set, et cetera, it's actually the contrary. Because they have been so effective, so efficient, so diligent, so masterful in the prosecution of this case, they want to get them off of the case by any means necessary. So I don't want to conflate the issues. I don't want to confuse the issues. In my mind, from a legal analysis, even if there is such a relationship, there's no legal issue that would warrant dismissal of the case. Now, having said that, we've got to be true stewards. Is it a best practice to, it's just like a, an, an, an office romance. Is it, and by the way, he doesn't work for her. He's not employed um, in her office. He is a special prosecutor. And I'm, a, and I'm saying if they are involved in such a relationship. I'm not saying they are, but if they are. Now, is it best practices? to be involved in a romantic relationship with someone that you've hired as an outside consultant? I would say probably not, only because of the scrutiny. Is it illegal? No. Is there impropriety? I would say no. Is it unethical? I would say no, unless there's evidence that there was a misuse of funds, meaning that the district attorney somehow took funds because see, he paid on an hourly basis like everybody else. So there's no misuse of funds there. Mm-hmm. But if she took additional funds somewhere and spent them inappropriately on him, that was not outlined in the contract. So let me like, ask you this. Because it really is, they are pushing the money angle. And in fact, it's right. Divorced, you know, I'm like, okay, all right, this is people work together, these things happen. Uh, what is the honest services fraud issue? What is that? It's a federal crime, and it's supposed to prevent elected officials, I understand, from getting kickbacks. Why are they looking at her and no one else? I mean, what, what first of all, what is honest services fraud? What is that? Well, certainly, that is a statute really used. Um, and, and it is designed, you know, it, it is, there is impropriety and it is illegal to get kicked off. So in other words, you hire someone for, um, to, to prosecute a work at a case and you get, um, and they're, they're, they're charging $600 an hour and you get $250 an hour for every, for, so in other words, you get a portion of the money that he's charged and that he's billing for. That's what they're saying. They have, now, if they have evidence of that, then that would be problematic. But as far as I've seen, and again, we will see when she answers the complaint, there is no evidence of that. You can't say simply because someone is involved, and again, I'm not conceding that she is because I don't know. But if you're involved in a romantic relationship and your, your partner decides to buy you flowers or take you on trips that you're getting a kickback, no, 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 because if that's the case, if that's going to be the case, then any judge who's dating someone, any lawyer who's dating a public official, any member of Congress who's dating someone, all of them would have to go, 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 and go some more. And we would have no elected officials that could, who are single 
that could be involved in any romantic relationship. So that surely is not, that, that is not the intention, that is not the purpose, and that's ludicrous. But if there is evidence, however, that she is, for every dollar she's making, she's getting 40 cents, which there is no evidence there. But if there is, if it were to surface, that's a different legal question. But mm-hmm. Santita, I maintain this is, of course, politically motivated. And by any means necessary, they're trying to get her off the case. You don't try to get people off the case who are messing up the case. You don't try to get people off the case who aren't effective. You don't try to get people off the case if they're not making an impact. You try to get someone off the case who you feel is dangerous and could convict you. Sure. That's what this sure, is but about. That's what this is about. I do understand we have to look at all sides of this. We do sure. have to look at all sides But, you know, this is... I guess, you know, my point is this is the price of being in the arena, you know, and I'm not dismissing the seriousness of this, but we knew that something like this, not these charges necessarily, but that they were going to invest, investigate her, people around her, and come at her in some way that could be injurious. And so before we get to Ms. Morrison, what are, I mean... Does she have to answer this complaint? I mean, what is in the, yeah. in the court of law? I mean, how does this how does this work before we go to Ms. Morrison? Well, um, just as with any lawsuit in a civil context, when you're sued, at some point you have to submit an answer to the complaint. One of the first mm-hmm. things that you you attempt to do is you file a motion to dismiss, which is you know this is hogwash, and even if you assume uh, the facts, all the facts alleged by the plaintiff. There has been no violation of the law. So they'll try, they'll seek to get the case dismissed. And then ultimately, if the case continues on, she'll have to answer the allegation, just like any other lawsuit. You know, if you're a district attorney, um, you, get, you may get sued a lot by people who you prosecute, people who don't like final determinations and the like. And so the concern that has been expressed is this because of floodgate. You know, she's in the middle of prosecuting a number of rappers. Um, in Atlanta, and I was on this RICO, this very, very significant RICO statute in Georgia. And, you know, the concern that some people have is, is that people will jump on the bandwagon. Definitely, some of the Trump defendants will jump on the bandwagon, including the former president, if they feel this is a means to get her off the case or to get their case dismissed. But I submit there's no legal basis for that based on the information that I know and based on the legal analysis that I've done and others have done at this point. But, you know, all things could change based on that. So we'll see. She's going to at some point have to, unless the case is dismissed, answer the complaint, either admit or deny um, the allegations. And so I think people will watch it very carefully. I, I, the but, final word, Santita, because I do want to hear it from Carla Morrison, is I think it was on three minutes before the break. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very unfortunate that um, this is what's happening. But Big Bethel AME Church in Atlanta said, yeah, we hear that. We stand by her. We want her to come speak because she is our Fulton County District Attorney. And Carla Morrison is the publicist who was responsible for that, well-respected in the Atlanta community in Georgia. So maybe before the break, we can hear from her. Um, just to well, give we've us got, we've had, literally have, we literally have three minutes. And so welcome to the show, Ms. Morrison. Just Thank you. Thank this. you. Mm-hmm. So um, we were happy to have, uh, and still are, we're excited about having had um, District Attorney Fonnie Willis. And for us, this was a worship service. It was a special worship service because 
we were also celebrating the birth and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And so Ms. Willis, or Sister Willis at this point, um, was our guest speaker. That was it. That was the story. And in that, the theme is the national theme of the Martin Luther King um, Center for Nonviolence. It starts with me, shifting the cultural climate through the study and practice of kingdom nonviolence. And so Ms. Willis just shared her story. She is a part of shifting the cultural climate. And she was telling us it's ugly when you're doing that. And so that, that, this whole thing that the media has created is, is crazy because it's been very negative. And there was only one journalist who actually wrote the story. The story was the historic Big Bethel AME Church is celebrating Dr. King's life and legacy, as we do every year for years now. And our special guest is District Attorney Bonnie Willis, plain and simple. And this is what she talked about. And it shared the entire story of her sermon of this week being as crazy as it was and her having to tap into the source, Jesus Christ. And then the way she does it is by writing letters. So she wrote a letter to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and then read us the letter. Hmm. You know, let's talk about that when we get on the other side. And of course, there's going to be Aaron Connolly, uh, Dr. David Gibbs, uh, Attorney Daryl Jones, C.K., will all be weighing in as well. I mean, just, what is the political? There's a personal fallout, there's a political fallout. And we need to talk about all of this because now all of these issues are at play in this case. Mm. But this is the price of being in the arena, everybody. Big lights, big price. Here we go. More of the Santita Jackson Show. We will Q&A with CK. Back in just a few minutes. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. I'm WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station at AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Please, if you want to hear the show without any commercial breaks, go to WCPT820.com forward slash Santita and um, give it a listen. Give it a listen. Today we were talking about Namibia and Germany. Germany committed the first genocide of the 20th century and it was against African people. No one talked about them boiling heads, decapitating people, all kinds of atrocities. And we're going to have Professor Nia back on to talk about uh, what colonialism looked like for Africans in particular and for people of color. We miss that whole piece and we do so at our peril. But right now we're talking about Fannie Willis and these allegations against her. Um, uh, will she be able to stay on the case? Will she not be able to stay on the case? How is she handling this from a public relations perspective? Not only does this impact her professionally, it impacts her personally, but it impacts her and this case politically. Attorney C.K. Hoffman, you brought someone pretty special with us. I guess she's my cousin now. Hello. 
<laughs> oh, my word. I love it. And, of course, Attorney Aaron Connolly, Attorney Daryl Jones, and Dr. David Gibbs. Dr. David Gibbs, who said that this, that this was going to become a nasty fight. So take it away, CK. Well, absolutely. Um, before the break, Kyla Morrison from Chit Chat Communications, which is an Atlanta-based public relations firm, and she was the chair of the MLK Sunday service at Big Bethel AME Church. And she is the person who secured District Attorney Fonda Wilson in November to come speak to the church. So she was, you know, um, telling us about um, District Attorney's comments at the service on the 14th of January. And Ms. Morrison, you were talking about the fact that this was a letter to, jo- to, to God that um, right. District Attorney Willis was sharing. He shared with right. she- and how it was received. Yeah, I mean, it was well received because we all understood. She talked about being uh, one of God's flawed, hard-headed children and uh, and just all the things that can happen. How she started off, she, she asked the question, how much are you presently willing to sacrifice for the greater good of his purpose? That was her question. Um, and she says she wants to talk to us today about uh, what is required to be a soldier in warfare to shift the cultural climate. The theme, again, it goes back to the theme. It starts with me shifting the cultural climate through the study and practice of kingdom nonviolence. And she dug deep because this week well, last week was such a hard week in every kind of way. She, she said she had to fall to her knees. She had to tap into the source. And when she does that, it's about writing. And so she wrote a letter to God, and she shared that letter. And she questioned him. She asked him a bunch of questions. And in some of those questions, um, because of the hate that she received on a daily basis, um, how can I, you know, dealing with Marjorie, um, she asked a question, and she said that God spoke to her and was like, you have to um, forgive. And she's like, God, I'm not there yet. I'm still on my walk with you. No, he said, you have to pray for her. That's what he said. You have to pray. She was like, I'm not there yet. You know, this lady is spearheading the hate campaign towards me. You know, they actually had to surround her house one night, Christmas night. They surrounded her house and her head of security called her and said, someone called and said, um, they just murdered a woman at your home. And for her, she's like, oh, my God, is that my oldest child? So she's in a panic thinking her oldest child had been murdered. It was a hoax. But that's the type of stuff that she's dealing with on a daily basis. And, you know, at that point, it's like, thank God it was a hoax. But to even have to deal with something like that. And so she was she was just straight being real and honest with us about what she deals with and in and, and trying to culturally change this climate. You know what I mean? Like she's dealing with all of these things. And we understood because we're human and we're all flawed. We are all flawed. That's why we're there in church. You know, we try to be more Christ like. You know, know his word and follow his word. And um, so it was a great service. Uh, It's so sad that the media has made it all about she's sticking up for one of her um, prosecutors. That's not what the service was about. That's not the story. 
The story is oh, the story. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was no, just going to no, say no. the story. The story is the historic Big Bethel AME Church, 176 year church, had our regular worship service celebrating the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King with our special guest speaker, District Attorney Fonnie Willis, period. And this is... Like he knew about then cast the first stone. So if she was in a, in a relationship with him, okay, so what? Now what's next? See, for me, see for me all of this, I'm not, I don't ask perfection of people. I ask presence. And if you've made right. a mistake... Just, you know, you say I made a mistake or there was an error in judgment because, please, hell, we work with people. You work with people and you fall in with people. That's just life. And so acting as if people don't make mistakes, as if we don't fall in love, fall in like, fall in with people because, hey, everybody goes to work at the Game of Thrones at work. And when people line up and you have your back, please, you you can get caught in your feelings with people. I mean, so I'm like, take all this perfectionism off the table. This is silliness. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with some of the most immoral, amoral people in this, in this particular space. I don't even want to hear it. My thing Absolutely. is, can, can she, can she, yeah, I mean, because I don't care. Well, let me just put it right there. I don't care. Every year, every day, I got to hear about who Dr. King was as a human being. With all that he was and was not, he freed you and freed America. I'm done. Right. That's, all, that's all I want to know. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. All that he was and was not made him who he was. And everybody else, too. So let's get on past that. But what about these charges against her? I mean, because I want, because there is a political and personal and professional fallout. Where do we go from here? Because I don't want us I'm to set her up. Yeah, because I don't want us to set her up so that if, you know, if oh, we find out she might be in a relationship, okay, so what? Well, and, and, and that's why I start off by saying if she is in a relationship, I believe there's no legal basis for any type of dismissal of case, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because there's no impropriety by being in relation with him. I want to call him Daryl Jones, um, who's, you know, the chairman from the Justice Coalition, because he's a stellar trial lawyer. We deal with these issues. I do employment work. You know, I'm sure you've tried some cases. I know you do a lot of criminal defense. You do civil rights work. And certainly civil rights is really entwined in all of this. And, Joe, what is your perspective on this? Uh, thanks, C.K. Good morning, Santina, to the panel. You know, it's interesting to listen to the discussion as it's going on. Here, here's, here's my read on it. <clears throat> when we're dealing with uh, Fannie Lewis and Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor who is an independent contractor uh, that she hired to, uh, to come in and prosecute this case, you know, there are a couple of things that are going on. From the criminal defense perspective, uh, what we want to do when we're representing someone is that we want to bring everything in our cabinet to try to uh, get rid of a case, to get rid of charges, and to muddy, to wa- muddy the waters. And that's what, you know, Ashley Merchant is the attorney that was representing Michael Roman, uh, who filed this motion. And I think that's what she was after, is that she just wanted to muddy these waters. She wanted to take your eye off of the focus and focus on the shiny object that she's now throwing out there. So whether or not, you know, Fonnie Willis was in this uh, improper relationship or not, uh, I don't think that ends up holding the day. It doesn't get the case dismissed, let's be clear. In the worst case scenario, I believe that what would happen in Georgia under their statute 
is that they would then have to uh, take the entire prosecution, prosecutor's case to the prosecuting attorney's counsel, and then they would appoint a new uh, you know, uh, uh, prosecutor to oversee and to go forward with the case. It doesn't dismiss the charge. But, you know, to what we see happening here right now, though, with Fonnie Willis, you know, I've, been a, I've been a prosecutor for a number of years uh, prior to being a defense attorney. And one of the things that you don't want to have happen as a prosecutor is you don't want any appearance of impropriety. You don't want to have anything that makes it look like there's any type of uh, actions that you're taking that are personal or anything along those lines. I don't think we see that here with Fonnie Willis. But what we do see is the defense attorney trying to muddy those waters and having some success, C.K., because we know Judge Scott McAfee has now ordered a hearing to be held in February, which means it's going to put even more light on this sideshow that the, uh, that, the, that the defense attorney, Ashley Merchant, has been able to gin up in this situation. So you know, it, it takes away from the focus of the prosecution on both Michael Roman and the other defendants, including Donald Trump. So that's what I see happening from here. Has Bonnie Willis done anything that's wrong? I don't think so. You know, even if she, assuming, you know, the, the accusation is true, because, you know, with the, with the filing, they put all these bills and credit card purchases and everything else that, that was done uh, by, uh, by Nathan Wade, the special prosecutor. Assuming that all of that is true and, and that there is a special relationship or relationship, romantic relationship that they've held, it doesn't do anything to prejudice her against uh, the defendants in the investigation that's occurred in this case. It doesn't mean that the investigation is somehow flawed, that the, that the grand jury proceeding that was done is somehow flawed and it somehow influenced the grand jurors with regards to the charges that are being brought. To the very essence of what this is about, I think it's a sideshow. With regards to the evidence and the charges, the indictment, they don't go away. They stay. The question is, are they so afraid of Fonnie Willis? that they need to try to do this to see if they can somehow uh, put a chink in her armor and get her removed and have another prosecutor brought in in this case, C.K.? Okay? Of course they are. Absolutely. Next. Absolutely. That's how they play the game. You know? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so Aaron Connolly, Aaron, what, what is your take? You're, in a, you're a lawyer as well. Um, being a woman lawyer, we know that as women, we are under a different type of scrutiny um, than men are. If, if the question... If Bonnie Willis were a man, if Bonnie Willis were a man, would we see the same level of scrutiny? Well, that's that's what I was thinking as I, as I was reading this initial filing by, um, really, let's face it, Donald Trump. He's immediately responding to this favorably. He's um, you know, stirring the muddy water himself as as soon as this is this is filed and made public. So, you know, I think let's be clear from where this this movement comes. This is mafia style stuff. They can't, you know, get get the knife in on the first shot. It's death by a thousand cuts. Right. This is just a part of the plan they've had for her. And they've been putting it forth the whole time. Donald Trump has publicly attacked her character, made these wild accusations previously. And now they have, um, you know, a, a, a tiny little crack in which to, to try to pry something out. And unfortunately, some of the, the coverage, as you mentioned, is, is creating that, that muddy water. Now let's, let's, let's see what this hearing provides. I think, you know, it, it is a sideshow, and politically, um, you know, who knows what else they have up their sleeves regarding some of the other prosecutors or 
something else. This is how they operate. This is how Donald Trump and his team have have always played the game. And regardless of the truth, right? So um, it's it's unfortunate that that this sideshow has to occur, but it's it's been part of the plan all along, unfortunately. And to your point, CK, if this was a white male <laughs> district attorney, um, I, I don't think there would be any question at all. Um, I don't think this this would have even been uh, pursued as as an avenue, and um, we would we would never hear another word about it. Um, so, um, as a, a black woman, I think Santita, you mentioned it at the the front of the the hour that this has been a trend to attack black and brown women in power, especially those who are fighting. Uh, in any sort of way, in, in any case related to Donald Trump and certainly other um, conservative uh, initiatives around the country. That is that is the first person who is attacked, right? And it's done in a way that makes it tough to stay in the arena for many folks. So um, we need to make sure that we're getting the facts and supporting um, these women who are, are are out there fighting the good fight. So thank you for talking about this today. I think it's it's important we understand what's really going on. Absolutely. We haven't heard from Dr. Gibbs. Um, Dr. Gibbs, you're a professor at the University of Arizona. I'm looking at this in historical context, political context. What do you say about this? Well, what we have here is a breakdown of legitimacy of process uh, that um, everything is regarded as having a political motive, and in many cases, probably does have a political motive. In this case, quite clearly, the attacks on Fannie Willis are politically motivated. Uh, this is Trump is trying to use anything he can to discredit a prosecutor that, in this case, uh, probably is the most credible and damaging of all the four major prosecutions against Trump. This is the most threatening to him, I would guess, legally and politically. Um, and so he's trying to find whatever he can to damage Fannie Willis. Let me say that um, I have a lot of empathy for the position she's in and that it takes a lot of guts to put yourself out in public like this in a situation where you're going to be attacked and she is being attacked. Um, and I would say it was frankly it was predictable she'd be attacked just given the high stakes here and the way the game is played in these types of situations. And it's very scary from the standpoint of the person being attacked. You know, at the same time, there's a political motive pretty much across the board in American politics right now and everything that's being done. Um, and we can't get around the fact that the there really is a political motive to all the prosecutions against Trump um, in the sense that, uh, you know, the Democratic establishment, and Fannie Willis is part of the Democratic establishment, the Georgia branch of it, um, you know, wants to find some way to remove Donald Trump from politics because they don't like him. And I sympathize with that because he was a lousy president and he's a lousy person. Um, but nevertheless, this is what is being done here is to use the, this is how I see it, is to use the legal system as an instrument in a way uh, that will discredit him. That's not saying he hasn't done criminal things. I'm sure he has. And as a non-lawyer, what he did in Georgia certainly looked pretty criminal to me. But the issue of motive is very important here because that affects the legitimacy of the whole process. Um, and it seems to me that the political motive is, is essentially a game of tit for tat. Uh, you know, the Democrats have come after Trump 
with legal charges to try and attack him with an underlying political motive that's openly stated. If you listen to Rachel Maddow, for example, she's openly acknowledged what I think everybody knows, that these political charges across the board are motivated by a desire to remove Trump from politics. She said this publicly, and no doubt she was telling the truth. And Trump responds by trying to attack with political motive um, Fannie Willis, um, you know, using whatever he can to damage her personally. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, this is a game of tit-for-tat that's likely to continue to deteriorate. Uh, you know, if Trump wins the presidency, which I think is a probability at this point, he almost certainly weaponized the Justice Department to go after any number of Democrats uh, with political motive. And then they'll retaliate by going after him yet again and again. And um, so I find all of this very unfortunate just because, in the first place, it breaks down the legitimacy of the legal system because it presents a generalized politicization of the legal system and a loss of respect for it by people who don't share your political views. Uh, And it also means that instead of dealing with substantive issues that affect people's lives, we'll be dealing with whether or not somebody committed a criminal act, whether or not Fannie Willis really did have an inappropriate romantic relationship or not, and go into every detail of her personal life and so on. And then basically Trump will retaliate, and then the Democrats will retaliate and back and forth. And so, again, I find all of this very unfortunate, but it is very much part of a larger process, and both sides are playing in this process of tit-for-tat. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything good that's going to come of this. CK? I've got well, about, you know, five minutes left here. Well, I think we should um, get everyone's closing thoughts. Thank you, Dr. Gibbs. I do think that there's a slight difference, a slight distinction, and a lot of this is politically motivated. But this evidence fell in Fonnie Wilkes' lap by a Republican, the Secretary of State in Georgia. She didn't go out seeking this, but of course she did have the discretion as to whether or not to bring this case. But having said that, in closing, and I'd like everybody to just have closing thoughts, I would just say let's look at the let's if we take this out of politics, there would actually be no reason for this to be raised. Because if so, as I said, every politician, every judge, every lawyer, every doctor, every professional will be under scrutiny for a single person for having um relations with someone else. He is an independent contractor. He does not work for Fannie Willis. He has been hired like two other people. And it is, it is to be noted that he is the only African-American that has been targeted um, and that has been questioned. Now, there could be, I think, at the very least, what we call on the law the appearance of impropriety, not just in the law, just in general. It may not be the best practice, but there is nothing illegal, even if they are having an affair even if they are having romantic relations. So I just want us to follow the evidence and not lose sight of the underlying case, which will be prosecuted, whether Fannie Willis is at the helm or not. And I sincerely hope that she's at the helm. But um, Daryl Jones, what are your closing comments? Yeah, I I underscore what you just said, CK. I I think the most important thing at this point is to remember that there was an independent uh, grand jury that was convened that brought these charges against Donald Trump, brought the charges against the other uh, co-defendants in this matter. And that if there is some type of uh, improper relationship that exists between Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade, 
It's a bright, shiny object off the side of the road, only there to divert your attention away from what you should be focused on. The focus here is whether or not the crimes that they were uh, alleged by the grand jury occurred. Evidence points that way. That's where the focus should be. And I I look forward to the judge uh, at this hearing keeping that focus. If there's anything else that's there, there are other proceedings that they can deal with, but not here in this criminal case. This is about a crime. Absolutely. Ann Connolly? What came to yeah, mind? I, 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 I think we need to look at that the Donald Trump is how many trials does he have going on right now? <laughs> He's on civil trial. You know, he has a civil trial uh, as well for for continuing to to violate the law. Like, let's let's take a, a, a full a step back. Right. We this is a part of a, a bigger tactic because he has a multiple battles he's fighting right now. So there's a lot of things at play. And Dr. Kidd? Oh, well, you know, I, I guess I, not being a lawyer, and I, I think I may be the only non-lawyer on this panel, I, I don't really look at this from mainly a political, from a legal standpoint, since that's not my expertise. But politically, uh, I think the Democrats are making a mistake by so, focusing so heavily upon these criminal trials, which inevitably are going to lead to, you know, counter charges by Trump, um, precisely of the nature we're seeing here and endless back and forth that are very distracting. I think a better strategy for the Democrats would be rather than using the legal system against Trump to deal with him politically and address the issue of why politically does half the country support him? What exactly are the Democrats doing wrong that has led to the rise of such a, frankly, clown and freakish figure as Donald Trump. What is it about the dysfunction of the Democratic Party and the larger political system that has made this possible? I see these criminal prosecutions as a way of avoiding these much more difficult and much more, um, I think, pertinent questions. But I think those questions are the ones that really should be addressed as opposed to, uh, you know, the the issue of whether or not, uh, you know, Trump committed a a crime. And so I I think basically the Democrats are trying to avoid dealing with Trump politically um, and are trying to instead use uh, a legal strategy to remove him from the campaign uh, in a way that I think ultimately is bound to fail. And I think that um, the Democrats really need to rethink their strategy here. And the final word to Carla Morrison, I know we've got to leave. Ms. Morrison? Just in a minute. God bless America and God bless District Attorney Bonnie Willis. Amen. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? And everybody, just understand look, I've been in the room, I've grown up in and around power with it. This is what happens when you get into the space. Don't think you're not going to enter into this space and not have to deal with it. And what you do, one of the things that I've learned from Reverend Jackson is. You deal with these issues head on. You you can't avoid this. If you made a mistake or if you committed some error or there was some misjudgment, say it and move on. That takes the teeth out of it for everybody else. It takes the teeth out of it. Everybody's human. Everybody does something. Hell, I disagree with some things I did last week. (laughs) But I can't redo them. All I can do is improve upon them. 
let's move forward so we can deal with the real issues. The real issues are getting food on your table, ending poverty, dealing with the issues that keep war and peace. We've got to deal with these issues. Those issues. So let's just move forward. And God bless everybody with our flawed, imperfect selves. That's the only way God can use us, as flawed, as imperfect as we all are. Go on and get better and move on. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you, Henry, for a great show.